0: But the end is not yet, including persecutions that they're going to have to endure and be faithful. Um, and they're going to have to keep preaching and testifying even in difficult times. Now he turns to what the sign is. What are they? How are they going to be able to tell that Jerusalem is about to be destroyed? So would somebody read chapter 15 through 22? Verse 15 to 22.
1: Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short.
2: Uh, Is that all? Yes.
0: So, when you see this abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about standing in the holy place, then flee. Now, the question is, what about this abomination of desolation? That Daniel spoke about well it turns out that Daniel spoke about more than one abomination of desolation uh, and so that gets to be a little complicated trying to sort out even where what Daniel's saying where and when for example in Daniel chapter 11 in verse 31 Daniel says forces from him will arise desecrate the sanctuary fortress do away with the regular sacrifice and they will set up the abomination of desolation but that was in Daniel 11:31 in the context of the intertestamental period. Antiochus Epiphanes setting up altar to Zeus and burning pig's flesh uh, in the temple and anointing the whole sanctuary with pig's broth and things like that. That was the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11 that occurred roughly, I don't remember exactly, 167 168 B.C. But there's another abomination of desolation that I think he is talking about in Daniel, and that's the one that he mentions in Daniel 9:27. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So that seems to be in the context, the abomination of desolation that he's talking about. Still and all, that doesn't tell you what it is. An abomination is some horrible thing, like sacrilegious thing, like irreverent thing. An idol, for example, would be an abomination. Desolation is something that devastates or destroys. So there's some terrible, outrageous thing that is going to happen in the holy place. Now, we don't know exactly what he meant by that. Some people think he means that there would be some terrible disgrace to the temple occur. Something that they would recognize at the time, maybe some idol set up, or some terrible, um, you know, outburst occur in the temple or whatever. Some people think that he may have been talking about like the Roman armies coming onto sacred soil, like coming into uh, uh, like coming into uh, Jerusalem or something like that. And in fact, Luke mentions, Luke doesn't mention the abomination of desolation in Luke 21. He says, when you see Jerusalem encompassed by armies. So that's another possibility. But something they should be able to tell when it comes, this horrible abomination in the holy place where they need to flee. Do you
2: have an idea more exactly what you think No, I don't.
0: I, I think it's an open question. I think it's the sort of thing they knew at the time but that we're too far away from it, to be sure what really happened and what they would have seen as that sign.
2: But you think it is very, very clear cut.
0: I think he expected the Christians to be able to figure it out. Now, you've got this phrase right here in verse 15, let the reader understand. That's an interesting phrase, because we're not sure if that is Mark's phrase saying, let the one who reads my gospel understand, Or is that Jesus' phrase where he's saying, let the person who's reading Daniel understand? That may be what it is. It may be that Jesus says, let the reader understand. You know, if you're a reader of Daniel, you're going to have to use discernment. And you're going to have to understand when the sign comes. So he's not terribly specific. But but he thinks that with discernment, the Christians would be able to know. There's a statement by Eusebius, uh, an early Christian historian like uh, 4th century, that says that the Christians all escaped from Jerusalem and were not affected by the Roman siege. He says they all went to Pella. Now, there's a problem with that, if that's what this is talking about, because this says flee to the mountains in Pella is about 3,000 feet below Jerusalem. <laughs> so I don't know how to interpret that. Some people think he's wrong about that, Eusebius was. I don't know if there's a way of reconciling fleeing to the mountains in Pella being so much below Jerusalem, or exactly how to take that, but at least there's, a lot of historians would say, few if any Christians were affected by the siege that they did get out and of course the whole concept of fleeing from Jerusalem would be counterintuitive. You normally flee within the protection of the city walls if you saw a threat coming. So to say get out of the city and flee would be kind of against the grain of what you would naturally expect to do. Did that thoroughly confuse everyone?
2: Would Almost. others, other than Christians, have fled?
0: I don't know that they did.
2: So the Christi- I don't know
0: why they would have. If you didn't, ha- if you didn't believe in this statement, why wouldn't you flee into the city for protection?
2: Could the Christians have tried to have influenced? I don't know. Their friends? I don't know.
0: We just don't have enough information.
2: How many people died?
0: That's a good question, also. I think Josephus says over a million, but he exaggerates a lot. So I don't know. But a bunch. I mean, Jesus said it's the worst devastation ever. So a bunch of people died and it was really terrible. But you know, some of the, one of the questions we have always is how accurate are the historical records? And Josephus is fairly accurate, but he does exaggerate a lot from what we know. So I don't know. Hmm. So Jesus says, you get out and like quick. If you're on the housetop, you know, don't go down to get the things that are in your house. You know, if you're in the field, don't go back to get your cloak. You know, that would be kind of standard emergency language. If you go back home, it could cost you precious time. And, uh, you know, running is critical. Not a moment can be lost. Um, Obviously, you know, the people who would take this as referring to the second coming are going to have a real problem. You know, how is fleeing going to help you when Jesus comes back? <laughs> you know, so do you suppose he can't find you if you're in the mountains?
2: <laughs> so,
0: they, uh, almost almost everybody has to admit this part of the passage is talking about that destruction of Jerusalem 40 years after Jesus spoke. Now, what are some things that would make it difficult for them to flee?
2: You I mean like verse 19? Yeah. Pregnancy and nursing.
0: Yeah, if you've got small children, Try to have to get out like that, it's going to be harder. In verse 20, winter or Sabbath. Yeah. Winter is going to make it harder because it's colder. There's more rain. The swollen ste- streams are harder to ford and things like that. Is there or there same, same time. time yes, they're in the northern And uh, the Sabbath is going to make it hard to leave. You know, there are strict Sabbath laws. It'd be hard to buy provisions. Fanatical Jews might object to your traveling on the Sabbath. City gates may have been locked on the Sabbath. So that would make it difficult also. So he says, pray that it not be too hard to flee. Because you really need to get out. Because there's going to be this terrible tribulation, the worst there's ever been. Just a really great percentage of the Jews were killed, and he says if the days hadn't been cut short, then nobody would be saved. You know, the siege lasted only about five months, and it could have been worse. You know, they could they could have wiped out every last one in there. So how
1: could that be for the sake of the elect? The
0: elect all got away? That's a very good question. Um, I don't know if there's a sense in which it's a blessing to the elect that not all their friends and relatives died. Mm-hmm. Or if this had continued long term, would they have even rounded up the guys that were in the mountains?
1: Or could it still be referring to the Jews as the elect?
0: Could be. Could be. Uh, that's not my preference, but who's to say?
1: Hmm. And so this abomination, and everything is just going to be such an instant thing that, like, this is literally how fast you
2: need to get out? Or I mean, wouldn't they have seen him coming or something?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I know what he says. I, I mean, I don't know that this is a Blitz Blitzkrieg operation. On the other hand, if you drag your feet and you get locked into Jerusalem, there's no way to escape. So, I mean, it was pretty urgent in the sense that there's nothing you can do after it's too late.
2: What does history say? How long?
0: I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. For one thing, we don't know when this abomination of desolation occurred. So that's going to make it hard for us to know how long.
2: We don't.
1: We don't know about the abomination. We don't, don't know, know is, the so we, we don't, don't know, know what the exact
0: sign was, so I don't know exactly when it was relative to Okay,
2: okay, okay. Because this is the destruction it. of Jerusalem, that's what I thought you were saying.
0: Right. We know yeah, we know it was A D seventy, but I don't know if this was a month before it got, you know, besieged or two days before it got besieged or whatever. Okay,
2: okay. okay. Five minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Like they would think they'd try to read. Well, how did it
0: happen? How did what happen?
2: The besiegement.
0: Well, they just surrounded it and they, they do what they do and they try to batter down the walls. But basically, when you, when you blockade it, when you surround it, then you don't let any supplies go in and so they starve to death. Like you understand case. that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, but did they see them? I mean, I assume they were not getting along, obviously, before all this happened.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no. They haven't been getting along for a while.
2: So, was there any one incident that led to the...
0: There were several incidents. Um, you know, several provoking things the Jews did to the Romans, and vice versa. And so, yeah, it was a gradually escalating tension. Okay. And now you've exhausted everything I know about...
2: I don't this. know anything about the history of this.
0: I don't know all that much. So. If I say any more, I'm going to be... a. Talking Josephus
2: about and making things up, exaggerating.
0: Yeah, I don't know to what extent he did, but you know he does. He has Josephus is not always accurate, so, as most historians are, especially living right there in that. All right, uh, 23 to 27.
2: Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather.
0: Well, you know, these times of unprecedented tribulation are times that are breeding grounds for deceivers, for would-be messiahs that offer deliverance, that offer the hope that God's going to intervene and everything's going to be okay. And always when things are more turbulent, there's just more fraudulent activity, more charlatans coming along. And... Uh, you know, if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. You might think, well, how could anybody think that? I mean, how would somebody just imagine that the Christ is here or there? Well, I don't know about that, but, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus returned in 1914. They're just invisible. So, I mean, if they can get people to believe that, then why can't people back here get people to imagine that Jesus must be over here, over there? Or or maybe they don't mean Jesus, maybe they just mean the Messiah. You know, thinking about some other Messiah. And they're, they're going to show signs and wonders. Um, you know, that's something that false teachers will often do. They'll often try to do things to attract attention and draw an audience. And, you know, put on a display <laughs> Jesus was reluctant to do signs and wonders. And he was pretty quiet. And he, ah, over and over again he said, don't tell anybody. But these guys are trying to uh, display themselves. Trying to deceive people or possibly even the 11. But Jesus has forewarned them. And so don't believe them if they say, oh, the, the Messiah is here or there in some remote location trying to meet with you. When Jesus does come back, what's it going to be like in verse 27? Very
1: sudden and apparent.
0: Yeah, like the lightning. You're going to notice. You know, it's not going to be some secret thing. We're going to have to go out somewhere to find him. You know, if he comes back, you'll know. So
1: that's the end of the book.
0: I think so. I think so. That there, You could explain that as the destruction of Jerusalem coming of Jesus also. But I'm content to take this as if he really comes back, everybody will know.
2: So why would he have jump gears?
0: Well, he's just saying, you know, you guys who are thinking that the Christ is actually over here, or over there, or over yonder. No, there's not going to be secret appearances. I'm not going to ever do that. You know, if I come back, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be the lightning from one side to the other. Well,
3: that makes sense.
0: That, that, that seems the most reasonable to me, but I wouldn't argue that strongly.
3: Oh, uh, and then verse 29, he says,
0: But, and then he goes
3: back into his former thought. Like, there's going to be people who are saying there's Christ and stuff, and he says, This is where I'm coming. But that, that's not what I'm talking about right now. And he goes back to where he was talking about.
0: Yeah, uh, yes, to some extent. Um, to some extent. In verse 28, though, where the uh, corpse is, there the vultures will gather. You've seen that, haven't you? What do you know if the buzzards start circling?
2: There's something dead down
0: there. There's a dead animal somewhere. You hope it's not you. (laughs) You know. And so, what's he saying here? What's the corpse? No, I don't think so. The fake Jesus. I don't think so.
1: The people who are distraught. What
0: does that mean?
1: <laughs> people who are upset. Yeah, and then the vultures are the false teachers. No. I, I, that like, I, I like, like general, general statement.
0: What's dead?
2: Jerusalem.
0: Yes, the nation of Israel. <laughs> Why are they dead? Because they are
2: No! Because they left the Lord.
0: And therefore they have no... Hope. And no... temple And no... Life! (laughs) The life left! The life is the Lord. Their house was left desolate. The Lord abandoned them. They have no life left. They're just a corpse. What do you expect to happen if you have a corpse? The vultures are going to circle and they're going to gather. I think he's talking about the Roman armies.
2: Oh you man, we were <laughs> slow on that one. Wow.
0: <laughs> You've got this dead nation. <laughs> no, how's the jump back to that happen then?
1: Yeah, because this is talking about the fake Christ.
3: So you yeah. assume it's
1: about so the fake Christ. My explanation makes more sense. Eight no, I like
2: yeah, Gary. Like no, say I like it. Yeah. What, mine. No, oh, Gary. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's my
2: sister.
3: <laughs> that's
0: her mother. <laughs> and mine too. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so Israel is dead because the Lord has left them. And so that's why the vultures have coming, which is the Roman army that's going to pick them apart.
0: Which is really what he's been saying through all of this. You know, the whole context is 24:2, the stones are going to be all dismantled. You know, and here's some things that won't happen. When the abomination of desolation happens, the people in Judea had better leave because there's going to be this terrible tribulation. And if in this time of the terrible tribulation somebody tries to convince you to go here, there, or yonder to find the Messiah, you know, don't believe them. There's going to be plenty of false messiahs, you know, but. When I do come, it's not going to be like you're going to have to go somewhere to find me. It's going to be obvious. And then returning back to his main thought, this tribulation, this destruction, it's exactly what you'd expect. You've got a dead nation, the vultures are going to gather, and they're going to destroy Jerusalem.
3: Wait, I, I like what you said with verse 28, but how does it get to that? Like, how, does it just automatically jump back from the Christ? Yes. to
0: the Jewish nation? Yes.
3: seems unnatural. Well, I think it's very
0: natural. You know, he says, unless those days had been cut short, verse 22, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days would be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead if possibly even the elect. But I, behold, I've told you in advance, so if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so that will the Son of, coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Oh, and then verse 29 says, but the after the, the tribulation,
3: tribulation. of That tribulation.
0: tribulation. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, I got it no. Exactly. The tribulation he's talking about, say, in 21 and 22 the tribulation that comes because the vultures are gathering around the corpse.
2: So he just sort of went off on a little aside saying this is they're gonna to try to mislead you hey you're gonna know when I come so he's sort of just explaining so don't
0: that. Exp- in this troubled time don't grasp at straws and believe that the messiahs here there or yonder ready to deliver you. It's not gonna work like that. When I come back everybody will know Meanwhile, the nation's dead, the vultures are gathering.
2: That makes a lot of
0: sense. Questions and comments?
2: I never knew what that verse meant. No, you do. I never knew that verse was there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might try reading Matthew once in a while. I mean, there's all kinds of verses in there. That's good. All right. Well, 29 to 31.
1: But immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to another
0: now when you read immediately after the tribulation of those days, connect it back with verse 21 um, and, and the thing that they are fleeing to the to the mountains to avoid. You know, immediately after that tribulation, here's what happens. Now, this is really challenging for us because what does it sound like? It sounds like the end of the world. And it sounds like that because, generally speaking, we're not very familiar with prophetic language in the Old Testament.
2: It didn't sound like the end of the world to me.
0: That, that uses that kind of language constantly for God's judgment against a nation. And so, for people who have not been reading Isaiah and Ezekiel and Psalms and Haggai, and Daniel, and things like that, this sounds like this has to be the end of the world. But if you've been reading those books, it sounds like it has to be the destruction of Jerusalem. You know, because he says, for example, in verse 29, the sun will be dark, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Well, that sounds a lot like Isaiah 13 talking about the destruction of Babylon at that time, and Ezekiel 32, that talks about God's punishment against Egypt, at that time. If you read this in the light of Old Testament prophecies, you'll recognize that this is typical judgment language saying the world was going to end for a particular country. Their lights were going out. Or you read the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And somebody said, it has to be the second coming. Well, it doesn't have to be the second coming because we know it wasn't in Isaiah 19 when in Isaiah 19 1, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and is about to come to Egypt. And we know in the context that he's going to come and defeat the Egyptians, probably through Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon or something like that. And so when the Lord comes on the clouds, it just means he's coming in judgment. It's a symbolic, figurative coming to show his judgment. But then you have verse 31, which perhaps is, that was the one verse I always tried to observe the Passover on for years uh, because I had no idea how to explain that. But, But actually... If anything, this is the most common Old Testament figure of all of this. There's all kinds of passages. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. That is common prophetic language for God bringing his people back to him and blessing them. I'll show you a few where we can actually look for a long time at Old Testament references. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. I'm I'm looking more at this one because I think this is the one people struggle with the most. Um, We've not recognized that as well as we should, but Isaiah 11 and verse 11, then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now this is talking about in Christ, that, that the Lord is going to bring his scattered people together in Christ and he's going to bless them. Or look at Hosea chapter 11. In Hosea 11 verse 10. They will walk after the Lord. He will war like a lion. Indeed he will war, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt. And like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses declares the Lord. The gathering of the elect passage is the idea of the Lord bringing his people to him, bringing his people together in Christ and blessing them. So when Jerusalem falls, when Jesus comes in judgment on the temple, then God is going to be bringing his people to him to bless them. In fact, with the destruction of the physical temple of Jerusalem, people will see that the place where God dwells is Jesus and his people will come to him and be reunited to God in his new temple, Jesus. So it's it's very understandable when God brings judgment on Jerusalem, he at the same time is bringing his people to him to bless them and protect them and care for them. So, he's saying right after that tribulation, the world of Jerusalem is going to end, Jesus is going to come in judgment against them, and he's going to gather his people to him and and bless them. Comments and questions on 29 to 31. That's the tough passage in here. Got that one better than 28. (laughs) Good. But you're familiar with the prophetic language a little bit. Yeah. So it doesn't seem so weird to you to read that stuff. But if you've never read Isaiah, Ezekiel, you know, or any of that stuff, then it's like, well, this sounds like the end of the world.
2: Sounds like Revelation.
0: It does sound like Revelation, which uses some similar language also for the destruction of the persecutors in that day. You know, and you've got even passages like Revelation 2.16, to the church at Ephesus, if they don't repent, I will come and make war against them with the sword out of my mouth. Was that the second coming coming? Well, I don't think the lack of repentance of the false teachers at Ephesus was going to bring Jesus a second coming.
2: Would you say that you are in the minority taking it like this, even yes. among Christians?
0: Uh, b- biblical Christians? Yes. No. Okay. I think the majority of biblical Christians would take it this way if they've studied it at all. But among denominational scholars, yes. There are those who do take it correctly, but they're in the minority. I think the... uh, It's amazing. Denominational scholars even know this prophetic language, and for whatever reason still, they want to take this literally and make all kinds of weird stuff out of it. And so they have Jesus jumping back and forth. I
2: was going to say, why would they say Jesus is jumping to this when he's talking about this? I
0: just heard there was a... of mine in Brazil, who's a Christian, he had not been a Christian very long all, and he just shared with me a Brazilian preacher's sermon on YouTube that he really wanted me to hear because it was so good. He's dealing with Luke 21, the parallel, and, and I'd not heard him. I'd heard about him for years. He's a really popular Brazilian preacher, and I figured he was probably halfway decent. I don't think that anymore, but he started out the sermon, he's, he's very smooth. You know he was in a, a kind of like a garden setting you know <laughs> and just so that the birds chirping and so forth it was very well done and uh and he started out by saying well one of the things we have to understand about this we cannot take this in the order in which it is written we have to take it in the order of the so we go by the order of the meaning not by the order that is written in which he proceeded to weave together passages from all over luke 21 in just a bewildering array of things because you've got to take it in the order of meaning not the order in which it's written well that just is a clue right there uh, why can't we just take it how it's written? you know how does that destroy your uh, beliefs uh, so I, but there are those. There are denominational scholars. A, a real good author who takes a generally the right view on this is a guy named R.T. France. I think he might be Anglican, I don't know. But he, he does a very good job on passages like this and from a correct perspective. But typically, denominational scholars don't. And, and it just doesn't make sense why they don't.
2: Do they get the Old Testament prophecies right?
0: Yes. More, more commonly, yes. Yes surprises. Yeah, I don't understand it. I mean it seems so logical to me that you understand the background to these symbols from the Old Testament. So Does it make a great deal of difference which
1: this is
0: talking about? Well, here's where it makes a difference. Thirty-two to thirty-four. <laughs> now learn the parable from the fig tree When its branch has already become tender And puts forth its leaves You know that summer is near So you too when you see all these things Recognize that he's near right at the door Truly I say to you This generation will not pass away Until all these things take place Now if 29 to 31 was the second coming we missed it. Yeah and so <laughs> depending on your theological persuasion you may argue that Jesus was just mistaken, or you may argue that Jesus was right, but Mark misunderstood him.
2: Matthew.
0: Matthew, sorry, I'm studying Mark right now too. Sorry, right in the same place, and I'll teach it tonight.
2: <laughs> On the same thing. Teach- I've
0: been teaching them together the- for a while though, so I just I just worked up my Mark outline this afternoon oh, that's funny. So today anyway. So uh, yeah, so Matthew. Uh, so, so that either either they say Jesus was wrong, you know, he was mistaken, or Jesus got it right, but Matthew misunderstood him, uh, or whatever. Now, there are those who try to reinterpret verse thirty-four. Either they will try to reinterpret the this generation, or they'll try to reinterpret the all these things.
1: Yeah, mine has a footnote that says race.
0: Yes, that's something that's often done. Race? They'll say this race will not pass away until all these things take place. Well,
2: like saying the Caucasian. Like the Jewish race. Uh, won't pass away.
0: But that is not a good explanation for the use of that phrase in Matthew. For example, Matthew twenty four twenty-three thirty-six, 36. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, he does not mean upon this race. Nobody thinks he means that. Uh, in Matthew 16, um, verse four, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. <laughs> he does not mean an evil and adulterous race seeks after a sign, and uh, you know so forth and so on. You can trace the use of uh, generation throughout Matthew and it is clear that this generation means the people Jesus was speaking to. He's been asked when it'll happen. He says it'll happen in this generation. He doesn't mean this race. Some people interpret this generation that is the generation when all these things are gonna happen. <laughs> Which makes it totally worthless.
3: <laughs> or
0: some people take this generation to be that is the generation of wicked people. Let's basically say, well that's basically saying, well, <laughs> until the world ends because there'll be wickedness all the way through. It, the, the only reasonable explanation is these things all happen within that generation. There's no problem with that as long as you understand this correctly. Yes, it happened within that, that generation. When you misunderstand 29 to 31, then you've got a problem. So I think that's perhaps one place where it's relevant. Right. Uh, in that. I mean, otherwise, you know, if, if you thought 29 to 31 was going to be the end of the world, depending on how you explain maybe a couple of those things, it wouldn't matter. What about this parable of the fig tree? Do you understand what he's saying by that?
1: You can see signs of the physical world
0: and know what they mean. Like. Yes. Yeah. And so, with the fig tree, what can you see? How can you tell? When the fig tree leaves out, summer's coming. It really doesn't have to be a fig tree. I mean, most any tree will work. But he's making it specific so they can think about that, you know, generally. When the fig tree leaves out, you know that summer's coming. So when you see these signs, you'll know that the destruction of Jerusalem is coming. I think that's his point. But all it's going to happen before that generation passes.
3: Earlier you said that you weren't sure about the abomination of desolation being the destruction of Jerusalem.
0: No, I mean, I don't know what exactly the abomination of desolation referred to. It was something that happened right before Jerusalem was destroyed. But I don't know if it's like an idolatrous thing that happens in the temple, or maybe it's the Roman army setting foot on Jewish soil, or if there's some other specific event that he was referring to okay so you do think all this uh, is the destruction I do, up through verse 34 I think it all happened in that generation and it was all either the things that weren't yet even signs of the destruction of Jerusalem or with the abomination of desolation it is the sign to get out because the tribulation of Jerusalem is coming I think everything through verse 34 occurred in that generation
2: I take it you think after that it's not
0: I do think after that it's not
2: so you'll explain to us why he jumps gears again.
0: I will. I um, see it. Do I? I see it. Good!
1: I think I've heard you say it before. <laughs>
0: yeah, well.
2: You see why it jumps gears?
1: Like later on? Like right after this verse? Yeah.
0: Alright, so anything we want to say before 34, by up to 34?
1: I feel like We don't even really have to stretch it much to make like 29 through 31 be not at all
0: no it's just the natural use of that language in the prophets right but if you thought everything had to be literal and the sun was actually going to be dark and the moon would be dark and the stars were actually going to fall from the sky literally and all that well that hasn't happened yet so it has to be the end of the world when you understand that the Lord uses this language over and over again in the prophets in a figurative sense, then it's cool.
2: I always like it when you say it's lights out for them. Yeah, but, I mean, because that's understandable. We say that, and that's sure. what he's saying.
0: Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna say
1: goodbye before we move on to the next section.
0: Feel free. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Thoughts Thank for you. you?
0: Have
1: right. this. There's some stuff for you to mail. It's all packaged, ready to go, if you could take it to the post office for me. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah. You're
0: welcome. All right, moving on to the next section then. 35 to 41.
2: Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then there will be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one will be left.
0: So, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, Jesus has been talking about some things that are going to change. Some pretty dramatic things that are going to change. Some kind of foundational things like the destruction of the temple. But in this sea of change, Jesus' words are solid and abiding. You can always trust what he says. His words are more permanent than the universe. But then he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the son, but the father alone. Now, clearly he's not talking about the same thing he was just talking about because he's just been saying when it would happen within that generation. And he's been saying, you'll know, because it's just like when the fig tree, you know, leaves out, then you know, summer's near here. He says, nobody knows. And furthermore, it's going to be an ordinary period of time with no sign, with no forewarning, with nothing that's going to tip you off. It's going to just kind of be a calm period, and you just need to be on the alert. So the language shifts dramatically. We've been talking about these days, now we talk about that day and hour. We talked about a period with signs and now there's no signs. So Jesus is using the opportunity where he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem to go ahead and talk about another coming of his. There would be a great judgment that was foreshadowed by the judgment against Jerusalem. That's the great judgment when Jesus comes back. The ultimate judgment. So he goes ahead and moves forward to talk about that one now, starting in verse 36. Do You also see it as
3: answering the rest of the question back in verse 3, because they say, Tell us, when will these things happen? He's answered that now. When will these things about the temple being destroyed happen? And then, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the, end of the age? Is he answering the last two questions now?
0: Perhaps he is. Now, I don't know what the disciples really intended by their question. I think they may have thought that the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming and the end of the world would all be the same thing. So it may be they were confused when they asked the question, but Jesus explains when he gives the answer. Jesus is not limited by their questions, but I think it is possible they were encompassing that. And so Jesus divides this out and and further answers by answering that part of the question. Even if they thought it was together, Jesus shows them it will be separate
1: switches gears because he said heaven and earth will pass away. My words won't so he's talking about that day when heaven and earth pass away.
0: Yes and the phrase that day is almost just a technical phrase to refer to the time when Jesus comes back. I mean look at it some here. In 42 be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. In 44 uh, the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. In 50, he's coming in an hour that you do not expect. In 25, 13, you don't know the day nor the hour. The day and the hour really refer to the ultimate day of judgment. What he's been saying before this, like verse 19, those days. Verse 22, those days. Verse 29, those days. But of that day and hour. So he changes the nature of the language and there's a number of other passages even in the book of Matthew that seem to use that idea of that day and that hour in this way. You know um, for example in 11 uh, 22 and 24 it talks about in the day of judgment it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon or others than for you. In uh, 12.36, he talks about in the day of judgment. Uh, In 7.22, he talked about, uh, many will say to me, on that day. So that day, or the day of judgment, seems to be something that's used in Matthew and other passages in the New Testament to refer to the judgment day. But what he was saying earlier in Matthew is those days.
1: But yeah, I'm saying that's why it fits, it flows with what he was just talking right. about. Because he just mentioned, this generation won't pass away, heaven and earth will pass away, my words won't, and then he expounds on right.
0: that. Right, and I'm, I'm yeah. intending to confirm what you were saying. Okay.
2: Well, that was my question was, why would he jump? But you're showing it's a logical.
0: Yes. And jump. he does jump. Because he doesn't finish the sermon until 26.1, when Jesus had finished all these words? Well, wow. 25 is the parable of the virgins, the parable of the talents, and the judgment scene where he divides the sheep from the goats. That's all in the same circle.
2: Does he ever go back from here on out to go back to the destruction of Jerusalem? No. So once he jumps gears, he stays jumped. Yes.
3: But isn't it not jumping gears, but continuing gears? Because it started 25, says, then at the kingdom of heaven. Will be like this so after Christ has come, after the end of the world, then the kingdom of heaven. Could that be talking about? I don't know, I haven't looked at it, so I don't know if it actually makes sense. I, I think it's that.
0: mostly talking about the judgment day. The ten virgins is when the bridegroom returns and they're not prepared. So then it's talking about heaven, and then it's talking about the judgment day, yeah. Uh, yeah, the judgment day. So it continues with that. No, so the it's great jump still, it's not a jump. No, 2436 and following is talking about the second coming and the day of judgment. Down to 2435, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and he uses a similar language. Look at that, for example. Um, look at, at uh, verse uh, 42. Therefore, beyond the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Look at 2513. Beyond the alert, then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. He uses the very same. Now, what did he say earlier? Beyond, you know, get ready and flee. Be watching for the abomination of desolation and, and get out. Here he says, Beyond the alert, you don't know when it might be.
2: Well, what makes the most sense to me, though, is the fact that you're, like, the destruction of Jerusalem is a foreshadowing. Yes. So now. You talk about that, and then now... Yes. To me, then there's your logical...
0: I agree with that, but I'm say, I'm also saying that everybody, except a small handful, makes a break somewhere.
2: Well, I see the difference in the language. I think that's really clear. I was just trying to figure out, why would he do that?
0: I, I, yeah, I think he's, he's using one as a foreshadowing of the other. I mean, there are a few people who argue they're the preterists or the hyper-preterists, that everything, including all of chapter 25, is the destruction of Jerusalem. Wow. But that really stretches everything.
2: Well, don't they think Jesus came then? For his judgment? Yes. judge
0: the f- They think the second coming was the coming and destruction against Jerusalem. They don't think there's another second coming. They think we're already in the resurrection.
1: So
0: what do verses 40 and 41 mean? Good question. <laughs> yes. He's talking about this ordinary period when everything's normal. You know, they're eating, drinking, they're marrying and giving in marriage and nothing really strange is happening. And suddenly God's judgment comes, just like suddenly the flood came and took them all the way, all the the way. So it'll be with the coming of the son of man, there'll be two people in the field. You know, they'll just be ordinarily working. And one of them will be taken and one will be left. Or two women will be grinding the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. There will be this sharp separation. Two people who are working at the same job. But one will be taken by the destruction and the other will be left in security or vice versa. I'm not sure which. But he's basically saying you may have two people who are externally similar. But this day of judgment will annul those similarities. And one will be saved and the other will be lost.
3: Sounds like the rapture.
0: Uh, but there is no such thing in the Bible. And that, you know, what what happened to the flood? Well, some were, you know, some were in the ark and some were taken by destruction.
1: So it doesn't mean that they're left, like one's taken, the other are left perpetually on the
0: earth or something, you know, like that's right. what it sounds like. Right. But so, some are taken to, uh, by the judgment and destroyed and some are left.
1: So with the rapture, don't they have the taken ones being the blessed ones? Yeah,
0: and it's possible he means it that way. I'm basing that on verse uh, 39, where the flood came and took them all away. So in that sense, those who were taken seem to be the ones who were taken by destruction, and those who were left are those who were blessed. But I wouldn't argue that super strenuously, because I'm not sure. The point is there's a division. If it was like the destruction of Jerusalem, you'd know when it would be, and you wouldn't have to live in constant readiness. But since you don't know when Jesus will return whatsoever, nobody does. You know, uh, no human being does. No angels do. Even the sun doesn't. Then you've always got to be ready.
2: I bet you that's a very minority view on 40 and 41. On, on which? 40 and 41.
0: Mm, I mean, it depends on whether you believe in the rapture. The rapture people love that for that, but otherwise it's not.
2: Are there any other passages similar?
0: Um, Yeah, but in the same you know, same law.
2: So like in Luke or Mark, but I meant like Old like Testament. Luke
0: 17, but mm, well, the plot. <laughs> Well, you know, what about like Isaiah 65? That sort of sounds like that. You know, behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put shame, and so forth and so on. That's Isaiah 65, 13 to 16. So you've just got that idea of the contrast. Other questions and comments? All right, well, let's stop here then for now. And we will uh, work on this starting again in 42. But